2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse number 6, and it says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. I want to talk this morning about honoring God through hard times, through difficulties. And, uh, and, and really, that's really where the test is. Uh, there's really, uh, I think there's no greater way of giving God honor and glory than trusting Him when everything's out of control, when trusting Him when you don't have the answers, and uh, when that anxiety is taken over and you're filled with the what-ifs, and and, um, and going through those valleys in life that, uh, that everyone will face. And uh, so why don't we have a word of prayer as we uh, dive into this. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning as we uh, consider some of these truths that, that uh, everyone will go through something uh, probably rather significant in life. Of course, there are uh, various degrees of trials and difficulties we may go through. Some may be directly connected to persecution for standing for righteousness. Some are just the trials of life. But Lord, through it all, I pray that you'd help us to have our eyes on you and that our highest aim would be that you'd be glorified through those trials, and that you'd accomplish in our lives the things that you desire for us to, to learn, to grow through. pray, Father, we'd uh, uh, grab a hold of some of these truths this morning. Would you help me this morning as I preach your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word glory in, these, in, in verse 6 is the, the Greek word doxa. You may have heard doxology. Uh, the song is a song of glory to God. And uh, it's also translated in Scripture as honor. And uh, so the honor that we desire to give to God um, is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the glory of the Father. And you know Jesus, as He prayed to the Father, He says, glorify uh, yourself in me, and, and the glory that you have, you know, he talks about this glory that they share together, and by the way, if Jesus was not God, that'd be a very blasphemous concept. In, uh, in the Old Testament, God says, I will share my glory with no one, and a uh, very good, uh, good uh, topic to talk to about those that, that try to teach that Jesus was only a man, or a teacher, or even a prophet, but not God. Um, that would be a very blasphemous concept if, uh, if, if, Jesus is telling the Father to, to, to glorify the Son, right? But Jesus, uh, of course, uh, God in the flesh, uh, is the, the uh, in fact, look at verse 6 again, it says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. At the time of this writing, Paul uh, had, had, had experienced several attacks. He talks about times where he was uh, attacked, of course, by, uh, uh, by different groups. He had gone through different tragedies and trials. And then he, he talks about he'd been attacked by false brethren. 
those that, that, that claim to be believers, but, uh, but, but, but had their own, had pretense, had their own uh, ideas and ambitions. Uh, uh, he'd been attacked by different things. His own countrymen, his own people would turn on him. Of course, being a Jew, being one that was um, a Pharisee, uh, probably in line to be one of the very influential Pharisees, probably in line to be a part of the Sanhedrin. And, um, and so you had the Jews turning on him as he became a believer, a Christ follower. Uh, there are probably some believers, some Christians, that had some bitterness and cannot get past the fact that Paul was a persecutor of the church, and now he's a believer. And, and just, just thinking how human nature works, it'd be very easy to look at that and be like, no, I'm never going to give him a chance. I'm never going to see him in the eyes of someone who is a brother in Christ, right? And he, he went through a lot of things. He was attacked uh, uh, in many different ways about maybe, maybe the way he communicated, his oratory uh, abilities. Uh, you know, one of the, some of the things that you'll see in the tone of Paul's writings, especially when he starts talking about himself, is, uh, is a lowliness. Uh, uh, you know, that, that God's going to use the weak things to confound the wise. Yeah. Um, you know, he talks about his thorn in the flesh. In fact, in this very book, several chapters later, chapter 12, he talks about this thorn in the flesh was actually made to keep him low, to keep him down, that in that lowly state, God's strength is made perfect. And, um, but, it, but he's gone through a lot of stuff. He's gone through, uh, he talks about being shipwrecked, he talks about being whipped, stoned, left for dead, fastings often. And by the way, those weren't spiritual fastings. Those were, he had nothing to eat. And... Um, and he had gone through all this, and, and he gives this kind of uh, analysis here about, uh, uh, you know, troubled on every side, but not distressed. And we'll kind of look at that a little bit more. But, um, um, but look at, uh, uh, you know, the reality is that, that, that um, uh, if God always used impressive vessels, we may find ourselves magnifying the container rather than the Christ that should be in the container. We, 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 we love watching talented people, you know, as we're talking about that, um, the air show yesterday, the Blue Angels. I mean, that's pretty impressive, all right? None of us in this room could do that. <laughs> and it's really impressive when you see someone do something that there's no way you could do, all right? Uh, you think about the hours of training and all the things that would go into that, but, uh, but definitely it, it's beyond us. Like, I can't even imagine, like, what the controls look like. I just have not been in that circumstance. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I've seen a cockpit. I've seen you know, a plane fly. But if you were to say, uh, all right, you've played uh, video games. You've had a tour of this plane. Why don't you go give it a try? I wouldn't know the first thing to do. I wouldn't know how to turn it on. right? But we see these guys in this perfect formation, these flawless formations. And, and, uh, and you're kind of on edge because, man, you know, accidents do happen at air shows sometimes. You know, what if I'm going to witness one, you know? Um, but we're impressed with it. And, and really, we're impressed with, uh, with, with talent. I mean, they made a whole show, American Idol, finding the next big star, right? We love that stuff. People that'll do stuff we can only dream about. As a musician myself, there are musicians that I've heard that I just hate them. <laughs> because I'm like, uh, the talent is just amazing. And, uh, you know, and of course, uh, you know, we only see that. We don't see the hours of practice or all the things they may go through. We'll see a sports star just do incredible things. And, uh, and we sit on the couch and we try to coach them from our, from our couch, right? Like we know better. But, um, but you know, uh, those are things that impress us. But you know what impresses God? Humility, a lowliness, and availability. And, and too often in this world, we look, we look for things like, you know, that, that, the, that, the, that the world loves to, to, to put up on a pedestal 
And, and, and even in ministry, if we're not careful, we start looking for those kinds of things. Um, there's a, a certain denomination out there when they're looking for pastors for their churches. Uh, they, have, they have these... Uh, uh, <laughs> the, these minimum requirements, uh, you know, um, are just are just amazing. But but uh, you know, I've seen some of these, and, and nowhere in there does it mention like their walk with God. You know, say let's I'll make sure you have a bachelor or a, I'm sorry, a master's degree or higher, eight years of experience, and it's got all these lists like like a job, and uh, and and you know, and there's maybe nothing wrong in and of itself as you look at that. But but I think we look at it sometimes as a, from a very worldly perspective and say, well, well, does this, you know, what does this person, does he walk with God? Does he have, does he have that genuine relationship? Uh, how does he carry himself? And, you know, and uh, we'll see the, the ones that, that get big on TV and like, wow, look at just this orator, look at the way, they, you know, and, and you step back and you say, who does God really use? And, and we love fame and we love, we love these, these, these accolades, but, but you know, I think we'll all be surprised on who gets honored at the judgment seat of Christ. The ones that God took note of. You see, it's not these impressive, you know, it's an earthen vessel. Have you seen how impressive this, this, this dirt pot is? I mean, it's, it's pretty nice, right? Let me show you this dirt pot. It's not about the pot. It's about what you put in it. It's about what goes inside. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, uh, verse number 7 there. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's this treasure? Christ. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, we get very foolish when we start thinking, well, I'm somebody, and I'm, I'm better than this, and I, uh, you know, and... Uh, you know, we, we start having these, these ideas of ourselves. When we get to that place, we no longer have a dependency on Christ. Uh, you should do a study sometime. I was kind of astonished by this. Uh, I was noticing a pattern. I've not actually gone through and done this study, but I was noticing a pattern as I was going through various passages of this idea in the Bible about boasting uh, and, and not, not, not boasting or what should we boast in and those kinds of things, you know. And, of course, the very common one, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, uh, for by grace you saved through faith, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be bragging about what we did to get there. All right? And, uh, and what did you do to get in? How much did you have to pay? Let me tell you how I got in. This is why I got special seats. Mine's a little bit closer to the throne. Because look what I did. You know, none of us are going to do that. It's going to be, in fact, I think we'll have a, a, a more real understanding of the gospel than we even do of now and, and realize our own unworthiness in light of the glory and the majesty of Christ himself. When we read Revelation, we see Christ as that centerpiece of heaven. And we see him there as the crowd parts and we see, uh, 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 as it were, a lamb as it had been slain. The only, the only violent thing in heaven, the only wounds that you see in heaven are, 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 are the wounds of the Lamb as it had been slain. And, and, it, and it, it, it amplifies the glory of God and amplifies the, the grace of God and what He did to purchase our salvation. As we come there, we, we come into His presence, we're going to say, none of us are worthy. There's nothing I can boast in. So Paul says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the cross. That's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to brag on God, not on myself. 
Because there's nothing in ourselves that we can boast of. Paul even said this, and I love it because it almost looks like bragging. In 1 Corinthians, he said, um, he said, I labored more abundantly than you all. Well, Paul, way to toot your own horn there. I don't think that was what he was saying at all. He says, yet not I, but it is the grace of God in me. I can't take any credit for that. God's doing a work. God's the one that did this. You see, that, that, that lowly position. Sometimes God has to take us through some things to kind of uh, remind us who we are. I remember I went through that early on when I got saved. And, uh, and I was just, you know, really on fire for God. There were other people in my family and people I knew that, that I looked up to as strong believers. And, uh, and what ended up happening is um, I was, my zeal was coming across really as kind of as quite judgmental. And, uh, and, and those that I kind of looked up to, I realized uh, that, they, you know, uh, maybe they, they had lesser standards or they weren't quite, you know, um, I, I, I don't know how else to say it other than, my own walk, possibly, and I don't like to say it this way, but maybe surpassed theirs, and I, I always saw them as way ahead of me. And so I would say things or do things that all of a sudden became very convicting to them or even, even hurtful because of my uh, immaturity or inexperience at the time. And not, you know, that wasn't my intention. Um, I'm debating if I want to give you an ex a specific example. If you're, you're following what I'm saying, a little bit, okay. Uh, you know, we can fall into that. We can get really excited. What's that? <laughs> All right. Um, all right, I'll give you one. Okay, I, I'm trying to decide how controversial I really want to get here. Um, but, you know, God had to kind of humble me a little bit and say, hold on a second. You have not arrived. You still have a long way to go. And, uh, you know, and, and it, tempers, it tempers us a little bit. Sometimes when we even have conflicts like that. Remember, God, God has not required us to be sinless to be used. But He requires us to be available, to be usable, to be submitted to Him. If He did require us to be sinless, by the way, He would be without any vessels but Christ Himself. Think about some of the noblest saints that we look to as, uh, wow, look at these people of faith. Abraham, the father of faith, twice pretended his wife was his sister. Uh, and and, and that's direct, that was directly correlated, by the way, to his lack of faith or fear. Um, Moses, the human deliverer of Israel from Egypt, had a, had a fiery temper. cost him going into the promised land. And, uh, and, and, and was by his own admission um, uh, so, uh, you know, he, an, an adequate speaker. I struggle with that one. I think that was just his excuse. Because later in the book of Acts, they talk about how Moses was a very eloquent speaker. Um, which makes sense. He was raised in the finest schools of Egypt. <laughs> you know. uh, I think he was making excuses for God. David, man after God's own heart. We all know him. The sweet psalmist of Israel. Guilty of adultery and murder. And pride. Elijah boldly confronted hundreds of false prophets in the name of God of Israel, and then, uh, and then in doubt and fear, ran for his life from Jezebel and just, just wanted to die. I'm the only one left. They've torn down the, the, the uh, you know, they've killed the prophets, they've torn down the altars, and I alone am left. And God says, you have no idea. I've got 7,000 others that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Isaiah 
the noble prophet, confessed to be a man of unclean lips. Peter, the leader of the Twelve, uh, the 12 Apostles, uh, openly confessed uh, in the early part of Luke that he was a sinful man. He told the Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. By the way, wonderful confession, wonderful starting place with the Lord. Later on, he, he, uh, he, he very adamantly denies the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know him. The Apostle John, Apostle of Love, uh, uh, was also called the Son of Thunder, jealously sought uh, to, uh, uh, um, excuse me, jealously sought to uh, to curtail the ministry of someone who was not part of his group. In uh, in Mark three and Luke nine, he said there were some people over there that were uh, casting out devils in your name. They were doing ministry, and and we rebuked them. And Jesus is like, why? Why did you do that? You know, and then later on, another time, um, uh, when, they, when Jesus wasn't received in a Samaritan village, you know, he said, hey, let's just call fire from heaven and just consume this place. Let's just call down fire. Isn't that a good idea? Why don't you do that, Jesus? Paul was merely another one in a long line of clay pots that God had successfully used. You know, we've got so many failures and so many things that we can look at and and sadly, many times, uh, you know, we will identify with those failures. I can't do something. I can't be used. I've, I've done this. I've done that. And, and, uh, and, 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 and we limit ourselves or we'll limit others. We can't trust that person. Did they really repent? Are they really changed? The genuineness of Paul's apostleship, in spite of his humanity, is, is evident uh, not from his human abilities, his skills, his achievements, but from his spiritual character. He even laid out his resume, humanly speaking. He said, according to the flesh, I, you know, I, I've got more reasons to boast. I've got more reasons to, to, you know, to, to look at this. He said, I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, he goes, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, stock of Israel, Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, concerning the, the law blameless, uh, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He goes through this whole list of all these things, and he says, those things I count gain to me, Folks, he had to abandon completely. He said, I had to count loss that I may win Christ. You know what that is? That's repentance. You, know, you cannot be saved and hold on to your resume. If you're going to get saved, you've got to abandon that resume. Well, God, here's why you should receive me. Here's why you should accept me. Those things, I've got to count them a loss that I may win Christ. And that's something Paul understood and came to grips with, that, that he had to realize all these things that we look to and all these things that, 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 that we'll praise, and, and he, had to, he had to become nothing and let God do a word, let God build them up the way, uh, the way God wants to. In this passage, we see a few things unfold. We see in Paul's uh, humility, his sacrificial uh, 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 fruitful, faithful, hopeful, worshipful, his, his attitude, his heart towards God. Earlier in the book of uh, uh, in the first uh, first Corinthians, one verse twenty six to twenty nine, he says, "For you see, you're calling brethren. Have there not many wise men after the flesh? Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world with, uh, and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, the things which are." not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. 
That's an Old Testament principle. God doesn't want any flesh to get glory in His presence. In fact, so much so that even the way God made the, 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 the tabernacle and the Old Testament temple, the, the, the ramp to the holy place, they didn't want stairs, they wanted a ramp so that the priest would not accidentally kick up the, his skirt and show a little bit of skin. It had to be a ramp so he could walk fine and stay covered, completely covered. Why? No flesh in God's sight. Now, that's a picture that's not saying, you know, he hates our body. He made our bodies. He knows our bodies, by the way. But the idea of flesh in God's sight, and, 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 and this passage is saying that no flesh would glory in his sight. Glory belongs to one. And we love man worship, and we love to put people up on a, on a pedestal and say, say, wow, look at what they've done, look what they've accomplished. And I understand the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due, and there are those principles, and we ought to apply those, but we ought to be so careful uh, uh, that we give honor but not glory. Glory belongs to God. As we, uh, and, and, you know, and I'm talking about the kind of honor that we would give to God. We begin to see one of the um, uh, unexplained paradoxes of the Bible. Because the the filling of God's Holy Spirit, these uh, these unimpressive earthen vessels become remarkably resilient to the challenges of life. Those that are weak, it is amazing what they will endure with the power of God. It's amazing what they'll endure as as Christ is filling them and using them. They become these incredible beacons of light in any culture through any challenge, in all persecution beyond political leaders, beyond all these things. We think, uh, by the way, I love reading biographies. I love, I love reading what, what men and women in history have done for the Lord. Martyrs, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, just amazing boldness as uh, people went to the stake for their faith, standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time I read those, I say, would I? Would I be so bold? Would I be uh, uh, that way? Well, it's not really them, it's the Christ in them. So we look at our text, a couple of things I just want to point out this morning. Affliction does not bring destruction. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Let's kind of break that down a little bit in this passage. It says that they're troubled. Troubled. It means to, to press hard upon or to be in a narrow place. Uh, simply put, it means to be under pressure. We're, we're, we're pressed down. We're, we're troubled. Then it says not distressed. Uh, it carries the idea of not crushed. I'm under this great pressure, but I'm not crushed. I can go a little farther. How many of you have seen that, that, that uh, Christian film, um, Facing the Giants? Remember uh, the, the, the guy, bl he's blindfolded, and he's doing the bear crawl with that kid on his back? And he's like, I've got to be at the halfway park. And he's like, you keep going a little bit further. You're almost there. And he ends up doing like the whole length of the football field. He's like, he's like, take your blindfold off. You're in the end zone. You know, trying to show them to do everything you got. But the reality is there's something in there. There's something in you. There's something a little bit more. And, and you think, I, I can't do it anymore. I, I'm, I'm troubled. I'm pressed down. He says, hold on a second. You're not crushed. There's something more. And, uh, and by the way, <laughs> I love, love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10. Right, uh, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, 
but will with the temptation make a way to escape so that you may be able to, be, be able to bear it. I'll have to preach on that passage sometime, break it down phrase by phrase, because it's really powerful, and you just kind of dissect it. But the reality is this, that, that passage does not say God takes you out of it. The passage says you will be able to bear it. There are a few things, that, that a few truths in there. Uh, uh, one, it's not beyond what you can do. So, so when you say, oh, this trial is just too much for me to bear, that's a lie. That's a lie. Now, there may be some truth in, in the fact that you, may not, you can't bear that alone. But God doesn't give you more than you can bear. Secondly, He's going to make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. See, the escape is something that allows you to keep carrying it, not to dodge it. You'll be able to carry it. Well, you'll be able to keep going. We're troubled, we're pressed down, but not distressed, not crushed. Perplexed means without resource, but not in despair, not destitute of resources. We don't have anything, but we still have stuff. Nothing's coming in, but God's still providing and still taking care. Persecuted, uh, made, made to run or to drive away or to be hunted, but not forsaken or not abandoned. The Lord didn't leave him. While he was on the run, I think about David as he's running for his life in the in the in the the caves. Saul's hunting him, um, and uh, and you know he has he's there with his mighty men, and and what an amazing story as God just provided, and and uh, you know he his trust was in the Lord, and and uh, and, uh, and some of the greatest psalms came out of those times of despair and those times of trouble <clears throat> that have encouraged people for for many many years, as uh, as he's running for his life. The sweet psalmist of Israel, the giant slayer, the, the one who was anointed to be the next king. How easy to, think, to be to think, oh boy, I've been forgotten. God has left me. I'm in the darkest, deepest despair of my life. Paul said, persecuted, but not, abandoned, not forsaken. Cast down, the idea of being thrown down like in a wrestling match, but not destroyed, not ruined. He basically said, I've been knocked down, but I'm not out. This is what we're facing. This is what we're dealing with. For an earthen vessel to, to endure all this only magnifies the life of Christ in him. That only magnifies, it's not I, but Christ liveth in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, that's, that's the mindset that Paul had as he, as he expressed it there in Galatians. Uh, I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. And folks, when we come to that place of that reckless abandonment, I am crucified with Christ. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm dead to self, alive unto God. And, and quite frankly, my life is at His disposal. There's a whole different concept there. I like, uh, there's a message um, <clears throat> David Gibbs preached. Uh, uh, he's our uh, legal missionary. And, uh, and he talked about, basic, basically there's a direct correlation with how small you get and how God, big God gets in your life. And then how big you get, how small God gets. There's a direct correlation. In, in, in trust in, in, in who is your God and how big is your God. See, all of this enhances the life of Christ demonstrated in me. When a Christian goes through a hard time, a time of suffering, a time of illness, a time of whatever it is, and their, their hope is in the Lord, and they're, they're, they're fully resolved that whether life or death, I'm going to praise Him, and I'm, I'm, my eyes are on the Lord for me to live as Christ, but to die is gain. I've got a purpose still. 
uh, that glorifies God. The unbeliever looks on that from the outside looking in thinking, how can they do this? How can they go through this? This doesn't make any sense. I'd be losing my mind right now if I, if I was going through something like this. It's not I, it's Christ in me. We have these treasures, this treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Guys, I'm, I'm frail. I'm fragile. And by the way, any one of us are just one moment away from our whole world being turned upside down. It could be anything. You know, you can eat right, you can exercise, you can do all the right things, and a brain aneurysm hits you. I did everything right. You know, I've always found it so humorous when somebody, uh, well, it's not humorous, I, I'm sick if i got this kind of humor. Somebody will spend their whole life smoking and live to be like 100. Somebody who smoked for a little while, quit, spent their whole life without smoking, died of lung cancer. And you're like, how's that fair? You, know, you look at these things, but the reality is you don't know. You don't, you don't have control of this stuff. And uh, you can do it. And by the way, I think we should be good stewards. You should eat right. You should live right. You should, you should do things that are, that are healthy as a good steward of what God has given you. But, uh, but, but the reality is, you don't know, and, and as soon as we think, I've got it all figured out, I've got a, I've got a five-year plan, I've got a ten-year plan, I've got things all worked out, and, and I love what James says. He says, well, we should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or go there or, or what have you. And we need to realize every day, man, today could be the day. I could, I could meet the Lord today. I could be raptured today. I could die today. There's a whole new urgency that comes into play. Secondly, affliction is uh, for the purpose of purification. Verse number 17. I love this verse. For our light affliction. Remember all that stuff Paul just said? You know, we're persecuted, we're distressed, we're pressed down, we've got all this going against us, and, and this is the, you can see this attitude of hope, but, but we're still doing okay, we're still going forward. And he says, you know, this, this light affliction... This Paul that had been whipped, left for dead, stoned. You know, at one point he, he says, uh, you know, I don't know what's ahead of me. God had not revealed it to him. But he says, this one thing I know, this is the one thing he knew what was ahead for him. Persecution's waiting for me. What? And so he says, you know, this light affliction. You know, just take a baby aspirin, drive on. This light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Peter calls it, these trials, more precious than gold. Now, how of you would rather have a bar of gold or a trial? Which, which would you go for? Right? I'll take the gold, please. God says this trial is much more valuable to you. This light affliction, which is but for a moment. And by the way, you could say, what do you mean? This is a lifelong debilitating thing. Hey, what is your life? It's even a vapor. It appears for a little while, yet vanishes away. Hey, what is this compared to eternity? What is this compared to forever and ever and ever? Even if we were to consider the whole length of, uh, of human history, what is that in light of eternity? It's just but for a moment. Worketh for us 
hey, if God be for us, what? Who's against us? It worketh for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That word weight, that's, that, that, that's the substance, that's that, uh, uh, you know, how you measure it, this, this, this glory. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon wrote, God's choice makes chosen men choice men. We are chosen not in the palace, uh, but in the furnace. In the furnace, beauty is marred, fashion is destroyed, strength is melted, glory is consumed, yet here... Eternal love reveals its secrets. <clears throat> All too quickly, we're prone to kind of stop here. <clears throat> I'm prone to stop here with my uh, with the purification and my understanding of why God puts me in the fire. All right, I'm done. I, I don't know. I can't see what benefit there could be here. But it's really stopping short of God's ultimate purpose of bringing glory to Himself. Of Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Of God. The, the, this trial, if God be for us, who could be against us? This trial, it's of God. He, he, he in, in essence, ordered this thing up. It's uh, of Him, through Him. It, it came across His desk, and He put the OK stamp on it. And to Him, to create its purpose, that when it comes back to Him, to whom be glory forever, amen. It's for the, His glory, and He's going to work in your life. And let me just say this, anything in your life that brings God glory is definitely going to benefit you. Well, I just don't see it. Yeah, because your eyes are on you. And that's the problem, this, this, this modern-day humanistic Christianity that we have. Uh, we, we think the end all is about me, and, and, and what do I get out of this deal? We even try to sell it in, the, in that fashion. You know, this is, this is going to be good for you. This is a step up. This is going to be an improvement. And, and we, miss this, we miss the part that talks about death to self. We miss these things. And by the way, I'll say this, Christianity is a, is a step up. You're going to be a servant of some master. Pick a good master. It's the right step. Not, not, not only that, but, uh, but think of the hereafter. And it's okay, by the way, to win someone using hell. Someone once said, hell is heaven's best billboard. You say, why, why would you say that? Because Jesus gave more detail about hell than he ever did of heaven. He didn't go around saying, hey, you want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven? You want to go to heaven? But you know, somewhere along the way, when someone gets saved, there's going to be a shift where it starts becoming less about what I'm going to get out of it and more about God getting glory out of it. <clears throat> but we tend to stop here. I, I, I throw in the towel. I don't want to do it anymore. This, this is too much. And let's be reminded, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, but for a moment, Third thing I want to bring out is affliction brings about transformation. Isaiah 48, verse number 10, Behold, I have refined thee, not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Now, of course, this passage is written to the, the nation of Israel as they, they were uh, uh, going through seasons of rebellion and refining, and, and God was doing, doing a work there, but it's definitely applicable as we consider 
these afflictions that come our way. Uh, Job said, when, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. As, as we go through the afflictions, as we go through the trial that God's working in our lives, there is a preciousness to it. There is something uh, more valuable that comes about. We think about the chastening hand of God, whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth and he scourgeth everyone he calls a son. And what does it do? It brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Hey, it's peaceable. It's fruitful. Transformation usually comes at a great cost. Think about how much it costs to transform your land. We did a little bit of landscaping this year, and uh, we moved a lot of dirt. And uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of work. I almost had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. I guess there's a little blood. But uh, it's a lot of work. Um, there was sweat. There were tears. <laughs> uh, the cost of transformation. You think about how much more a life. How costly it can be as we, uh, 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 you know, experience God's work transforming our lives. There are times of cost. There are times of of what it's going to bring about, and and uh, you know things. I think about um, Mount Rushmore was built with some of the, the 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 harshest tools known to man during its construction. It wasn't completed with a manicure set. Uh, they're using dynamite. They're using massive chisels and hammers and things. And let me just say, when God starts working on your life, He's not going to use a little fine-tuning manicure set. How many of you have seen that, that skit from years ago the skit guys did? God's chisel. All right. Um, I forgot the projector set up. By the way, we need to make sure that's set up for tonight um, uh, if, I, if I don't get around to it. <laughs> um, um, you know, it shows this, this guy, and, and God comes along, and he starts chiseling away, and he's, I'm trying to make you the image of Christ. Well, but it hurts a little bit. I know, but it's got to come off. You know, well, I don't, know what you, I don't like what you're going to find. I already know it's there. This is God, by the way. And he's working. A.W. Tozer said, If God has singled you out for a special object of his grace, you may expect him to honor you with stricter discipline and greater suffering than less favored ones are called upon to endure. I've talked before about suffering and been approached. You know, preacher, you don't, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like to get that cancer diagnosis. You don't know what it's like to hear these things. And I say, you're, you're saying it all wrong. God has not trusted me with that yet. God hasn't trusted me with it. See, he's trusted some of you with some very tough things. I was, I was blown away um, when I was visiting with uh, the Nelsons when they were here. Many of you know they, they lost their, uh, their youngest this last year. And, it, and it's, it's within the year. It's still like, you know, grieving time. It's still kind of going through that time. And a lot of people will say, you know, well, God has, God's been gracious. He's, he's helped us through this and we're coping. And what I was hearing from them was, let me tell you about the spiritual lesson God's taught me. Let me tell you about what God's shown me. Let me show you how, how less I'm attached to this world now and how urgent the world to come is. I mean, the, the spiritual tone that was coming out of them, I sat back and I said, I, I so admire you. God trusted them with something. And, and His grace is met with that trial, and, and they're growing through it, and God's doing a work. And, and I don't know if they would say it now, but down the road, they might come to this place where they'll say, we wouldn't want it any other way. Because of what God accomplished, because of what God was doing, and He does all things well. 
What a mindset. I think it was also A.W. Tozer, it was definitely one of the authors of that, that time period, that said it's uh, doubtful that God will use, uh, uh, or before, something about it, before God greatly uses anybody, he has to hurt them deeply. You say, well, that doesn't sound right. He's got to transform them. He's got to make it less you and more of him. God uses these trials. Don't, by the way, don't waste your trial. And the trials will come in many shapes, forms, fashions. The, the point is, is it drawing you to him? I was having a discussion this last week with somebody. We were having some Bible study, and, and we were talking about the same anxiety. And, uh, and, and, and anxiety, what is, what is that all about? And, and, uh, and, and, and how some people are just prone to worry. Some people are prone to anxiety. And, uh, and you know, what, that, what that's there to do is to teach you, you know, it's, it's not a sin that you kind of slipped into that. It's not a sin that you, that you got depressed a little bit. It's not a sin that you're dealing with these things. But, but what those things should do is teach you in those moments where to turn and to allow God to finish that work. Hey, that could be that thorn in the flesh for that individual. Oswald Chambers said, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chose or ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. I thought that was a pretty good statement. I submit to you a few ways in which you can honor God more than by choosing to trust Him, even in the furnace of affliction. Well, this doesn't make sense, but we're going to trust you. I don't have all the answers. We're going to trust you. We are deeply hurt, but we're going to trust you. So the question remains, will you submit yourself, yourself to his will, even if it includes a hammer and chisel? Even if it includes those things. The Bible says in Hebrews 1 that Christ is the express image of God's glory. And the word there, image, is the Greek word character. And the word there is actually describing that of a chisel and hammer. And, 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 and it's chiseling something out, a, a mold, if you would, that's translated in English as image, and, and it's a character, it's a representation, if you would, of the very character and the nature of God. And as God begins to work in us, He takes that chisel to work character into us. And sometimes it's a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes we're going to like it. But God has called us to an image. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that's what God's doing. So no wonder Paul said, we glory in tribulation also. What? That doesn't make any sense. It is when you understand what God's doing. So we're talking about honoring God. A huge part of it is going to be how you respond when trials come. Difficulties come. That's how we're to pray. Our Father.